Before we get into this week's episode, we just want to thank everyone for their support of The Sweet Spot. You have helped grow the show to a level we cannot imagine. As we approach the end of the year, obviously it's holiday season. You're looking for gifts for golfers in your life, or you're asking family members for gifts for yourself. Just a reminder that both of our books are available on Amazon. You can get Adam's book, The Practice Manual, or mine, The Four Foundations of Golf. It is a great way to not only improve your golf game, but support what we're doing on The Sweet Spot. Thanks again for everyone's support, and let's get into this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf, and as always, I'm joined by... Adam from Adam Young Golf. So we live in a world where everything is numbers and everything's being tracked everywhere we go. And I guess that's the theme of today's show, right? Stat tracking. We're going to be talking some numbers and stats. Yeah, I'm looking at my Apple Watch now. I recently bought the Apple Watch Ultra about two weeks ago. And uh, so I'm, I'm tracking everything at the moment. Breathing rate, heart rate, sleeping what else am I doing? I've, I've literally, obviously, steps, calories. You know, that's a really annoying thing about the Apple Watch. It doesn't give you your total calories. How ridiculous is that? You have to go yeah, into I don't the know. app and find it. Yeah, it's. Uh, I just bought a new one, too. I think I had the Apple 3 for a while. I just upgraded. I didn't get the Ultra. I got whatever. What is it? The Apple Watch 8? I don't even know what they're up to. Yeah, I got the Ultra. But yeah, I like tracking stuff like that. I, I like looking at my... I heard the sleep stuff can be a little funky like it doesn't you know it's not accurate enough to get everything but yeah i track my steps just looking at being accountable to myself for exercise patterns stuff like that it's been helpful i've had one for four or five years now so yeah that's been helpful for me and i think it can be in the context of golf there's some helpful statistics we can track as well which we'll talk about in this episode yeah it's very motivating for me to see the stats because you know if i see i've only done 2000 steps in a, a day i'm like right let's get up and and go and walk and especially even having the watch now i'm almost playing a little game with myself or it forces you to play the game with yourself well let's beat last week let's beat yesterday and so i think that's one of the big values of stats in golf as well is you're creating these little games out of the metrics and you're trying to beat yourself absolutely i think that could be one element of it you know, I was thinking about what's the, because there's a number of different ways you can approach stats and some people, I know we have a lot of listeners who are probably engineers and institutes into statistics themselves and their careers. So I've gotten some wild spreadsheets over the year where people are like, hey, check out this, how I track my practice sessions and all my shots on the course. And I'm like, whoa, that is, you know, for someone like me, I, I don't go that in depth. I do like numbers, but I'm not that type of person. So I think it can be, you know, depending on, you know, maybe your personality and other things, like you could really get deep into it or you can do it as a more simple. I think there's some simple ways to do it as well, which I'll discuss. But I think my overall goal for any use of stats, however simple or advanced you get, I think you're always trying to get to the root cause of what's holding you back. If you're looking, obviously, if you're looking to get better and lower your handicap and, you know, whether it's tee shots, approach shots, putting, wedge play, you know, trying to get to the root cause. Like the numbers are helpful, but you've got to answer the questions. Why? 
why am I losing strokes off the tee? Why am I missing so many greens? You know, we is it impact fundamentals, which I'm sure we're going to talk about on this episode. Are they strategic mistakes? Are they mental errors? Is it process related or perhaps your mood? So that's, you know, I think stats are nice and I think any level of golfer can get into them, but I don't want people to do it just to do it. If that makes sense, I'd I'd rather you have the goal of uncovering, answering that question, well, why? And then digging a little deeper and getting into like the nitty gritty of your game. I think that's, that's where they get helpful is where you can really find out and do some self-reflection on your golf game and you have the numbers to back it up. That's where I think you can make some powerful changes. I definitely agree that the goal is to determine what you need to work on, what you need to get out there and improve. I do like stats for stats sake as well. I'm just one of those people who in my spare time, I will happily click and go through my, I use shot scope. So I'm switching over now. I've got the Apple watch. I'm going to try the Arcos Golf. I've just bought their sensors as well, but I just like going through and seeing how many fairways did I hit? How many greens did I hit? I just love seeing numbers. I think in terms of numbers all day, I'm always, anybody knows me, knows I'm tracking the weight of my food, the calories and things like that. And people think I'm insane. They're like, why are you doing that? And I'm just, I don't know. I just love it. <laughs> I love thinking <laughs> well, in terms yeah, exactly. of numbers. If that's, it, it fits in well with your personality. And that's, you know, again, some people can take it very deep and go that route. And you, I'll talk about some even more simple stats. I've got some ideas over the years, but yeah, you you can go either direction and, and kind of like in the context of all the conversations we have on the show, like golf is fun. It's recreational. I think if you're the person who keeps that spreadsheet and that's like fun for you, like that's awesome. Like do it. Like that could be extremely fun and rewarding for people to keep track of these things. at such an in-depth level. I think that's great. Yeah, it's just very motivating um, for me to see those stats improve and look at the charts improve as well. But I do understand not, you know, I'm a weirdo in those terms. So uh, shout out to Hutch as well. You know, Mike, Michael Hutchison, he's one of our followers who's really deep into the stats, even more so than I am. But yeah, for most people, you know, when someone comes to me for a lesson, I just want to know, like, what do you need to improve? What is costing you the most? Is it, and it usually falls into our big three, which is ground contact, face contact, or face direction. Obviously, there are a bunch of influences on those things, and I want people to track those as well, and we'll go through that. But yeah, I just want to know what is costing you the most on the course? Because lots of people, they end up working on things that are not really relevant to why they're playing poorly or, or to their goals like you'll you'll have someone standing on the range beating ball after ball after ball and you find out that they're losing more shots on club selection issues you know that's a mental thing that's nothing to do with their swing or their ability to strike it so finding out what you need to improve is key things with stats and i think that's something that most stats miss Honestly, it's a real basic thing that most stats tracking misses what you actually need to improve. Yeah, I think one of the main benefits to using a system like ShotScope or Arcos, so maybe we'll we'll talk about the selections that people have out there and, and they have strokes gained, is that a lot of people, they have this image of their own game and what's wrong with it and what's right with it that's actually not true. So, for example, putting. You know, a lot of people might assume they're a worse putter than they are because they think they should be making more putts. And 
let's say if they actually kept track of their make and miss rates by distances and, and input them in an app like golf metrics or track them with shot scope, they might find out that, well, you actually are a good putter for your handicap level. And you, you know, they, they think that perhaps their iron game is solid and that's where they're losing the most strokes. So as you said, they could be spent and that let's say they're just spending all their time doing putting practice, assuming this and the, the lower hanging fruit was elsewhere in their game. So it, it absolutely can make you more efficient in your improvement process. So you can spend time on your weaknesses and perhaps still polish your strengths a bit. And I think it's also very helpful for, you know, we've had a lot of episodes of Woody Lashen with club fitting. He loves to see stats. You know, if you can show him how far you're hitting each club, your strokes gained. If you're working with a swing instructor, that's very helpful information for them. Because again, when someone interviews you, if you're starting lessons or going for a club fitting, your interpretation of your golf game might be completely different than the actual truth and what the numbers say. So those are two very important reasons to keep track of them as well. Uh, It can help the professionals that work with you. So yeah, that's one of the, and also just to make sure you're spending your time efficiently. Yeah, I think, you know, things like strokes gained, it's much better in terms of it's it's better than the old stats that we used to keep, right? When I was 18, I used to keep fairways in regulation, greens in regulation. Those are the main ones that people keep even to these days, right? When you're looking at people and they make a little notes on the scorecard, those are the things that people are keeping track of. But there are problems with those stats, right? I mean, oh, one yeah. day you can play a course that's very wide off the tee, and you can drive it pretty poorly and still hit a bunch of fairways. And another day you can you know, play a really tight course, drive it really well and just miss a few small uh, fairways by a small amount. And that's a big problem as well. It doesn't tell you how much you're missing a fairway by. And that's a really important thing to see. Well, that was one of my my bullet points on my notes is the difference between the traditional stats and then using stroke skiing. And I, you know, the, the episode we did with Mark Brody, I believe it's over a year old at this point, but still one of our most popular. Just a reminder that the sweet spot is an evergreen show. Our library has no chronological order. So we're just kind of trying to create a library of knowledge that you can access. So none of it is date dependent. So you, I encourage people to go back to that Mark Brody episode to, to listen to the stroke gained and why it's more superior to a stat like fairways hit. Let's start there, for example, just to give a quick reminder. You could have two golfers. So let's say you were just tracking uh, fairways hit, greens and regulation, like up and down percentage and putts per round. Fairways hit is a incredibly misleading statistic. And I'll give an extreme example to illustrate why. So you could have two golfers and you say, okay, how good are they off the tee? And if they were both only tracking how many fairways they hit per round, and let's say they both hit 55% of their fairways, you'd be like, oh, they're, they're very similar off the tee in their performance. What you didn't know is that player A averages 285 yards off the tee and is hitting 55% of their, their fairways. And on top of that, they're not hitting it into penalty areas or getting into recovery situations that often. They're a great driver of the golf ball. They hit it pretty far and they keep it in play. 55%, you know, sounds decent-ish on the surface. Player B could average 225 yards off the tee. 
And also, two or three times around, they're either hitting into a penalty area or a recovery situation like being caught in the trees. So they're shorter and they're more inaccurate with those uh-oh shots. Fairways hit cannot distinguish the performance between these two players. Strokes gained, however, can because strokes gained is taking into account distance. Whether you are hitting the fairway, if you're hitting into a rough, it can take into account recovery situations and penalty areas. If you're hitting it in fairway bunkers, that all gets calculated nicely into that number and shows you that, like, let's say you were an Arcos or Shot Scope or Golf Metrics user, you could say, all right, I'm a 10 handicap and I'm losing two strokes off the tee to a five handicap. That's an area of improvement I need. Whereas you, you could not make that distinction. Fairways hit is just not enough information. It's a good starting point, perhaps, but it's not nearly enough, in my opinion. Yeah, even what I said earlier about you go you go and play some courses and they're wider, some courses are narrower. Exactly. I've hit so many. I, I always do this in stats. I've, I saw it as kind of cheating when I was doing it as, as a kid. But I, if I hit a good drive and I walked up and it just ran out of the fairway, or it was just in the light rough because of a bad bounce, I would still put that down in my own personal stats as a good drive, as a fairway exactly. hit. And I suppose I was unconsciously saying there, well, this isn't a bad drive. Like, why, why would I mark this down as a missed fairway if it wasn't me that created that, if I, if I had done everything I could in my power? And so, you know, that's why I keep different stats now. I keep things, you know, relative to where you aim. I also, if you do miss a fairway, I, I note it down as, was it a bad bounce? Was it just a case of not knowing the course? You know, sometimes we'll hit a drive, we'll walk down there and you see a big cart path cutting through the middle of the fairway and the ball is on the middle of the cart path. Technically, that's a missed fairway, right? <laughs> in, in certain stats, but it wouldn't be in my own stats. So yeah, there are problems yeah, with uh, fairway fairways in regulation. And you can also cheat it just by hitting an iron off the tee every time and you pump up your fairways in regulation, but you're obviously losing strokes gained. Exactly. And and with putting as another perfect example, you can't tell someone had a, like you could have one round where you have 35 putts and another round where you had 40 putts and say, oh, I putted so much better in the 35 putt round. That could be true or it could be influenced by the starting distance of each putt. So, for example, if you had a great ball striking day and you're hitting a ton of greens, like let's say you're you hit. 12, 13, 14 greens, a stellar performance for any level of golfer. But because you were you know, hitting those shots with irons, your proximity was like 30, 40, 50 feet from the hole. So a lot of those putts are going to two putt. Maybe you'll three putt a few. Whereas another day, let's say you missed a ton of greens, but now you're chipping and pitching on green side. So your starting distance to the hole might be a lot closer and you might have more one putts because of that. So putts per round, I don't know if I want to go as far to say that it's a completely useless stat, but it's again can be really misleading based on your ball striking and the starting distance of each putt. It's just not a good indicator. Whereas strokes gained, it is tedious to track your strokes gained putting because you do need to have pretty good information on the length of every putt, but it would put it into different buckets of, I think it's like zero to 10 feet or eight feet saying like how many are you making or missing from those distances. And it's assigning a value and saying, okay, you're gaining strokes on the green or losing them. And if you are losing them, it looks like you're losing them on the longer putts. So your proximity on those 30, 40, 50 footers, you're leaving it too far from the hole. 
Or perhaps you're actually a good putter inside of eight feet. So it can make that distinction from different distances. So yeah, putts per round, I would say is almost, or if not more equally misleading as fairways hit. Yeah. When someone comes to me and they say, well, I'm averaging 32 putts around, or I had 32 putts in the last round. It's like, well, were you putting from 30 foot each time or were you yeah, putting you just from five <laughs> feet each time? Because that changes whether those 32 putts is good or not. And even then you want to go deeper into the metrics and say, well, are you, is your speed control good or are you missing lots of short putts? Because that, again, sure. determines what we go out and work on. So, yeah, I would say that for those who've been maybe playing golf longer, you know, like, like you and I, we, we grew up thinking that the traditional stats told everything is what we saw on TV. That's how they used to track it on the PGA Tour. And that's how the emphasis on different parts of the game were placed. You know, because we tracked fairways hit, everyone thought we had to hit fairways. And if we didn't, it was a bad thing. And that changed strategy and, and how you interpreted our performance and putts per round. Whereas now strokes gained and other stats have given far more nuance to that. So I would tell someone... For sure, if you are interested in tracking your stats, and thank you to Mark Brody for doing this, uh, Stroke Scanned is a far more prescriptive starting place. It's not the ending place, but it's a better place to start than traditional stats to find out your performance and then get that answer of why. So not that you shouldn't look at traditional stats, but if you looked at fairways hit, in addition to your strokes gained and your average tee shot distance and how many times you were going into recovery situations or penalty situations, then you're seeing a much clearer picture of where the problem is. Or if you're missing it on one side of the fairway more often than the other, perhaps it's a face control issue. We'll get into that. But yeah, traditional stats are, eh, I wouldn't, I think you and I both really like greens and regulation still. Yeah, I was going to say out of all the traditional stats, greens and regulation is probably the best one to keep. It definitely has a high correlation with your level of play as well. And I think it's one of the stats where if you're keeping track of that and you're trying to improve that, you're normally going to see a an improvement in your score as well. Yeah, I think Mark in our episode, he was like, well, why don't you just tell me what you shot? Because there is such a clear correlation between the two. But when a golfer comes to me and says, well, I want to shoot my lowest scores, my answer to them is build your entire game around hitting more greens and regulation. And that means a lot of things, keeping it in play off the tee, choosing smart targets from your approach shots, becoming a much better iron player, because as Mark discovered, that's where golfers separate themselves the most in approach play so yeah you hit more greens you go from someone who's hitting four greens around to eight greens around your scores are going to plummet you're going to make a lot of easy pars and eliminate a lot of those those kind of sloppy-ish bogeys and double bogeys it's just a fact um so yeah we both love greens and regulation still even then I'm, i am going to take the flip side of the argument here so greens and regulation don't doesn't tell you the full story either I mean, you no, could, you you could have know a day. how close you hit it. Yeah. Well, you could have a day where the pins are all in easy placements. They're all in the middle of the greens. And you could have a day where you're playing a course where there's big greens versus small greens. If you play St. Andrews one week and then next week you play Pebble Beach, you might hit it better at Pebble Beach and have fewer greens in regulation because the greens are much smaller there. So, you know, again, it's, it's a good, it's a good thing to track. It's yep, definitely a good, a good 
it's a good mental goal to have when you're when you're hitting a shot is how do I increase my greens in regulation? What's the best strategy here to hit this green? It's a great goal to have mentally. It's going to improve your strategy. But, uh, you know, walking off around saying, oh, I only hit eight, eight greens in regulation there. Last week I hit 15. It doesn't tell the full story. Yeah, there's an issue of proximity and then where you land it. So if you miss a green and let's say you had a very straightforward chip on the fringe about 40 feet away, that's a good shot. Versus if you missed the green and you had chunked your iron shot and you still had 120 yards to the hole, that's a missed green too. So there's a huge distinction between those two outcomes. One, you're going to at worst probably make a bogey and have a decent chance of getting up and down for the par. Whereas the other, you know, now you've got a you're 120 yards away and hopefully you get on the green and two putt for your bogey, but now double bogeys and play more or being short-sided. If you're in a bunker short-sided to a pin, that's a not a green in regulation, obviously, but that shot's way harder than being on the fat side of the green with plenty of green to work with. So, and that's what strokes gained helps take into account with approach play too. proximity to the hole and where you're leaving yourself. We'll probably get into that as we get into approach shots, but just, yeah, another nuance there was, I love greens and regulation, but as you said, there's, there's more pieces to the puzzle than just that. I was playing, I was playing with a buddy the other day and there was a sucker pin. I know people won't be happy to hear that I went for it (laughs) and I, I missed the pin by probably only five yards or so. And it took a bad bounce and went in the bunker and it was a big green, very, very wide. And my friend equally went for the pin and they pushed, sliced it. They're a left-hander and it went on the left side of the green, miles away from it. And they turned to me and they said, well, at least I hit the green. <laughs> so they, I, <laughs> it doesn't tell you about the quality of the shot. You no, know, or which, your intentions. Yeah, exactly. So intentions, where the pin was placed, all these things matter. And I do have stats that keep track of these things and, and weed all of that out. Did I tell you what happened at the Chasing Scratch event where everyone thought I was pin hunting and they were screaming at me? <laughs> you give us a give us a summary. So I when I went to their uh, final major event, I on Thursday I didn't think I was playing golf, but I, I got my bag and my car so quickly I texted Mike from Chasing Scratch. I said I'm here, and they're like, "We're on the golf course. Come join us." So I drive there, I get out of the car, and I met Eli's group, who was further back, and they only had seven holes left. I literally just got off the plane, no warm-up, and just started playing with them. And the first hole, there was I hit a few good shots, but on the I think it was the third hole I played, it was this great par three with water in front of it, very wide green that was kind of shallow, and the pin was tucked all the way on the right side, like a true sucker pin. And... Mike and some other guys were watching because they hadn't met me yet. So they're like watching to see what happens. So I, of course, aim at the center of the green and I hit my shot. The sun's in my eye and I can't see where it's going. But I felt that I, I left the face wide open. And of course, it lands literally a foot and a half from the hole, something like that. And they're all going crazy. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm like, I was aimed at this. They wouldn't believe me. I'm like, I was aimed at the center of the green and I just left the face open. And they were like, oh, Sherman's, you know, he doesn't live up to what he says with this smart strategy. And then it happened again three holes later. Sucker pin on the left side, like a cliff on the left side of the hole. Pin's tucked there. I aim at the center and I pull it. 
lands like three feet from the flag again. So I think they have a joke about it in one of their episodes. But again, my intent was the center of the green. But because I chose the smart target, it allowed for that little push or pull. I had some insurance built in there and they led to easy birdies. But had I been going at the flag, I would have been short-sided and dead. Well, that highlights the problem with even the proximity stat, you know, proximity yeah, to hold. because you that's can be a- closer, yeah, but... Yeah, I mean, since strokes gain, that's a big thing that people track now, very, very highly correlated to score again, but it doesn't again get to how good was the shot relative to what you wanted it to be because it doesn't take into account your strategy. Imagine the scenario where the pin is tucked on the right, like, like you said, player aims at the middle of the green like yourself and then pushes it 30 feet right and it goes in the hole. That would go in proximity stats as zero, like a perfect shot. But it wasn't a perfect shot, right? It's 30 feet offline to what you wanted it to be. Whereas player B aims at the sucker pin, pulls it 20 feet left, and now they have a 20 feet proximity. Who hit the better shot, right? I mean, in terms of... Only the player knows. That is, you know, the limitation of all these. Well, even when we look at PGA Tour players, we're not sure of their intent on every shot either. We don't know what their target was. Exactly. This is why it's so important, and I've been doing this for years, tracking your shot relative to your aim. And, that and that's why the, the round review, you know, I love doing that too. After every round, I just think about what I did. I kind of try and go through every shot, my intent, what happened. And I'm like, okay, was there patterns there? So that's getting to the why and the how of this is, you know, the stats are great starting points. But again, they can, I think in aggregate, they show you a pretty good picture, but you need to still look for these patterns and see what's going on. Because as you said, you can trick them a little bit. You know, if they had, <laughs> I don't know if we'll get to this in the future where it's wired to your brain and knows your intent and can give strokes gained on that. Who knows in 30 years what's going to be possible. But yeah, that is the limitation of some of them is intent. Yeah. I mean, you again, I'm thinking of a scenario here. You play one hole and the pin's on the right. You play another hole and the pin's on the left, right? And for both of those, you aim at the middle of the green. And for both of those shots, you pull it 10 feet left. Like not, not a big pull, but you pull it 10 feet left of where you're aiming at the middle of the green. Well, it's going to come down. It's gonna, you're going to have on one of them that you missed left of the pin and one of them you missed right of the pin. The reality is you hit exactly the same shot. You pulled both of them 10 feet left. Those stats, they're not weeding that out. You know, if you look at just shot scope data or something like that, it's going to tell you missed left on one and then right on another. And you didn't. You missed left on both of them, left relative to your aim. Well, now that we've discouraged everyone enough, let's talk <laughs> about the different. I'm not going to counter that right now, but I'll let, when we get into each shot separately, we can go into that more. But yeah, you know, one thing I want to go over is what's available to people. There are, I think there's a lot more apps now, but. I think the easiest way for most people to get into it is to have a a system that passively tracks them for you, ones that automatically pick up your shots on the course. And there's really only, I wouldn't say there's only two great options, but I believe there's only two very good options left, which is Arcos and ShotScope. Garmin does have a system that automatically tracks. You you put the sensors into your clubs like you would with Arcos and ShotScope, and it works with their watches i don't think their stats system is robust as the other two 
So most people hear about ShotScope and Arcos, and it sounds like you're transitioning from one to the other. I think they're both great systems. I mean, full disclosure, I work with ShotScope. I sell them on my site. I have a discount for it if you want to use it. I think they're both really good. The only reason I direct people towards ShotScope is because it's a less cost up front. You're getting a GPS watch and there's no ongoing fees. Arcos is awesome too, but they do charge $100 a year. Like that's the only kind of like uh thing that I don't do love, love about it. Yeah, they do. I didn't you realize that. that. You, yeah. yeah I, looked, I looked through their website for that as well. I didn't see no, that. No, you got to pay. Mm. You got to pay to keep using it. In ShotScope, there is no ongoing fee. And the upfront cost for Arcos is more. So if you use Arcos and you want it to, you have to use your phone in your pocket which is a deal breaker for me, but they did come out with that clip now that you can put on your belt, which will you automatically can, you track your shots. You can use it shots. with your iWatch as well, with your Apple Watch. Yes, exactly. But you need an Apple Watch. So if you don't have that, then <laughs> yeah. it's an added. So I think Arcos to get out of the box, like automatic shot tracking without a phone in your pocket costs a lot more than ShotScope. Right. And you get, so I've used both of their stat portals. I don't know. I could make an argument that one is superior than the other. Although some people might argue with me, like they're both giving strokes gain. They're both giving dispersion off the tee. They're both giving shot patterns on your approach shots. They're both pretty good and they're getting a lot better. So yeah, some people prefer one over the other that I've veered towards shot scope because of the lower cost and no ongoing fees. Yeah. Um, I've used shot scope. I, I really like it. I love the data. Yeah, it's, it's solid. Said, it's, it's, it's good for me sitting over a cup of coffee at the end of the round, just going through all those numbers. So I'll, I'll report back on my experiences with Arcos Golf. Yeah. And so those are the two systems I would tell people are quote unquote easiest to use. You're still going to have to do some editing. It's using GPS. GPS can make mistakes sometimes. It might miss a shot. You'll, you'll, you're going to have to spend five to 10 minutes after every round going through it. And I actually prefer, I think that's a good feature to be honest with you, because then it forces you to go over each shot and be like, Oh, what did I do there? That was a drive on this side of the fairway. And you make sure it was marked correctly or the putt. And then you're, you're actually going through your round and reviewing your shots. So it's kind of a double benefit. There are plenty of apps available now. Uh, I think most would agree that golf metrics from Mark Brody and decade from Scott Fawcett are two that a lot of the, I don't know if I want to say more advanced players use, but those are very, very prescriptive in terms of their strokes gained. And then Scott's app has a lot, has a huge library of videos. If it's noticing a pattern, it's going to say, hey, watch these videos. So Decade has awesome features in it, but you are going to have to manually enter your shots after the round. They're not going to be automatically tagged. I would say that's their, not their only shortcoming, but one of their main shortcomings is that the the data entry part of it. But some people don't mind doing that. There's a million other apps now. I, I honestly, I, can't, I mean, people were telling me like TaylorMade as an app. Uh, I think 18 birdies in the Grint. And the, there's like, there's a million apps now where you can like manually tag your shots on your phone and it's going to give you strokes gained. I just don't know enough about all of them to say one's better than the other, but you have a lot of options. I would say based on what I know about the app owners and designers that Golf Metrics and Decade are still my two favorites just because I know what went into those apps and what features they have. Yeah, I have Golf Metrics as well, tracking strokes gained. So I like that. I think it all goes well together. Absolutely. But yeah, I think the benefit 
of ShotScope and Arcos is that, you know, when you review your tee shots, you can see your dispersion data. You can see, you know, a lot of golfers, when they look at their approach shots from 150 to 200 yards, they're going to see a lot of dots on the short side of the green because they're not taking enough club or striking it well enough. Like, so you're going to start seeing visual patterns emerge, whether it's on your drives, approaches, maybe in putting performance or, or wedge play. You start looking at 10, 15, 20 rounds in aggregate, you start seeing reasonable distances for all your clubs. Um, you start to see patterns of perhaps where your misses are, and maybe those could be impact or, or strategic errors. Um, you start to see some nice trend, trends, and then it's comparing your game at every level with strokes gained to the handicap level you want to get to. So if you're a 15 handicap, you can look at 10 handicaps, how you compare strokes gained and dig a little deeper in each category to figure out why. But yeah, some people get confused by it. Some people love it. They all have their pros and cons, but I I can't, there's so many of them now. I I, I can't tell you which one is a hundred percent better than the other. Like if you choose one of them, you're not, you're going to get features that perhaps another one doesn't have as with any technology at this point. Yeah, I th- I like them all. I think it gives you a great starting point telling you what you need to work on. So, you know, it's going to strokes gained information is going to give you a better indication of whether you need to work more on long game, short game or putting. You know, I sent you, was it last year or something? I sent you some of my data and it was quite clear that I needed to work on putting. I think <laughs> like plus three for long game and short game. And then, uh, it's like a 10 handicap for putting, I think so. But that I know that already. Luckily, that did line up with my feeling. But sometimes it doesn't, right? Sometimes we get people who say, oh, I, I, I'm fine with my putting, but I need to hit it longer or I need to you know, hit more fairways, hit more greens, things like that. And then you look at their stats and maybe it's their putting that's the worst part or maybe it's their short game. So this, will, this is a, a truth teller. It doesn't really tell you enough information. It doesn't tell you like why or how you're going to improve that and that's where i keep further stats but it's a good starting point to show you what area you need to work on absolutely um again yeah we're i don't want people to think that if they embark on this journey that they need to go like digging so deep i just think at the minimum if you started if you just saw your strokes gain dashboard and let's say you were a 15 handicap and you saw what a 10 handicaps strokes gained a typical one where you're gaining and losing strokes like that alone is very helpful because if you just saw like oh my god i'm losing so many strokes with my irons and i believe this it would be good enough to show that whether it's a combination of you know we talked a little bit about how proximity could be misleading but over the long run it would factor in greens and regulation and proximity it would become very clear that this player is just not good enough with their irons or their driver and you say okay i, I have to figure out this problem and i think that's incredibly helpful just for like a very basic overview of your game and let's say you're, you're not someone who's going to go very deep down the rabbit hole we are going to take a quick break and we will be right back If you want to support our show, make sure to check out our sponsor, LinkedIn, by visiting linkedin.com slash sweetspot to post your job for free. When you're hiring for your small business, it's essential that you get quality and qualified professionals, and that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs can help you find the right people for your team with the fast and free tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. They have a network of more than a billion professionals. 
many of which you can't find elsewhere. And this makes LinkedIn the best place to hire while making the process easy and intuitive. Because of how easy it is with LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses find qualified candidates in less than 24 hours. LinkedIn have just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier. That's why two and a half million businesses trust LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash sweetspot. That's linkedin.com slash sweetspot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Link is in the show notes. Do we want to talk about like the different, you know, go through T-shots approach? We kind of did before, but go a little bit deeper in what you look for and I look for on different parts of the game. Yeah, I mean, it's almost always the same things, though. That's that's why. I mean, golf is golf is a few impact factors. That's all. But there are certain mental errors that can change with certain things. So yeah, I mean, let's let's go with driving. What do you look for? Yeah, in I think off the tee. I mean, I've kind of dumbed it down at this point where I just look at even at the end of the round for me, like how many good tee shots did I hit? Meaning. Did I hit it my average distance or somewhere around that? You know, impact was decent enough. If I hit a fairway, great. Or if I even hit it in the rough, if I had a clear path to the green and an opportunity to get the ball on the green or close to it, I give that a check mark. That's a good drive. You've heard me say that on many episodes. I don't think it's fairway or bust. I put that in my book. So that's like the basic way I look at driving the golf ball. Now, when I look at my own game and I'm reviewing my rounds, okay, now am I noticing certain biases in terms of my miss relative to my target? Of course, intent is the most important thing. If I hit 10 drivers that day and seven of them ended up right of my target and a few of those were unplayable, why? For me, it's usually two things. It's an impact thing. I healed it too much. It was a gear effect issue, or I just left the driver face open too much. It was a face angle issue. Those are the two things I've kind of narrowed down in my game at this point that I'm keeping track of. I don't usually miss too many to the left anymore just because of the patterns. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm saying like really far to the left, but it does happen. So I'm paying attention to stuff like that. I think that's a basic way to look at your driving is saying like, did I accomplish the task of keeping it in play, having a clear path to the green? And if you're not doing that, if you're finding yourself in a lot of recovery situations in the trees or in penalty areas, now we've got some detective work to do. And strokes gain would account for that. I mean, you could look at fairways hit and distance, how far you're hitting your driver. But ultimately, as you said, we're getting back to the same, the same three things. If it didn't go as far, You probably struck it not that well in the face. If it went really far to the right or really far to the left, probably a face control issue. If the curvature of the ball, if it was a big slice, then maybe we're looking at swing path too. You know, we try and keep things simple on the show, but that's ultimately what you're getting down to in that part of the game. I would say that the deeper stats that I keep, the ones that go more into the nitty gritty, is actually, I I probably keep, or I probably, I'm probably writing things down less often and what I mean by that is if I hit a shot that is good or good enough and obviously that's relative or whatever you deem relative relevant to you I don't note down anything so if I hit a shot and it's reasonably down the fairway it's within say 10 20 yards of my max with the driver I'll just I don't keep any stats on that 
However, if I miss a fairway or if a shot costs me, you know, if I hit it significantly shorter, I'll be noting down the reason why. And so the things that I would be noting down is, was it significantly left or right of my intended target? Was it toe or heel? You know, so if I miss it significantly left and it also correlated strongly with a toe shot, I would probably write down that the toe shot was the issue there as well as the left shot. And then uh, if it's significantly short, I would write down whether it was extremely high or low on the face. You know, that really happens for me, but I know a lot of people will. If they hit it really low on the face, it's going to launch lower with a lot of spin. You can lose 20, 30 yards with that. And so that would go down. You'd, you'd want to note that down because it's affecting your score effectively. So these stats allow me then at the end of a round to say, right, what do I need to work on here? You know, am I missing a lot of shots left or right? Okay, there's a pattern there. Are there a lot of toe or heel shots? Or was I hitting everything low on the face this week and, you know, losing myself a lot of distance through that? So that gives me real data that I, is actionable. I can go off on the range and implement something to improve that then. Absolutely. And in terms of, you know, using some of the products we discussed. So let's say you were someone who was losing strokes off the tee and you're like, all right, what do I need to do? So you look at... I think distance would be one of the first places to look. You know, if you were a 15 handicap looking to get to a 10 and you were driving the ball 220, 230, okay. Maybe if you added the extra 20 yards, that that alone might get you to that level. Maybe that's, you know, we've talked a lot about what creates distance, that the strike efficiency, hitting it on the center of the face. We have a whole episode on driver distance. It might be a swing speed if you work on that. So there could be a distance element to why you're not, gaining strokes versus where you want to get to. And that's a problem I think a lot of golfers can solve. You've got plenty of resources on that, your strike plan, your practice manual. I've got some ideas in my book. There's plenty of resources on how to hit the ball a little bit farther at this point. Or you could look through, you know, if you are using like ShotScope or Arcos, you do get a nice visual representation of your your driver dispersions. So I've seen a lot of players' dashboards, and you could see some players are just hitting a ton of foul balls. You could see their dispersions like are outside the window, and you're like, okay, if you're losing strokes off the tee, like it's not a distance issue. You're just too wild with the driver, or even perhaps the shorter clubs too. Sometimes you could look through those and, and, and note your accuracy on those, the dispersion window. So then we look more towards... Would you agree with me that it's more of a face control issue, those big, big misses versus maybe impact and swing path? Yeah. I mean, yeah, the face is the thing that changes on those things yeah. in, in most case. I mean, even a gear effect, it's modern clubs are so well designed yeah, these you, days. You're not going to hit one 50 yards to the right because of gear effect. Yeah, exactly. Most of them, because there's curvature to the club face, if you do hit out the heel, it's probably more likely to start a little left and curve back into the fairway. Obviously, it depends how far you're hitting it, a lot, load of other things as well. But in most cases, you could probably just say, look, these big misses are face direction misses. Yeah, so I think that is helpful for a lot of players seeing that visual representation. They have like a scatter plot of all of your shots. So yeah, I mean, ultimately good driving is a combination of distance and accuracy. 
the farther you hit it, the more opportunity you have to score lower. However, if you are too wild, then you are squandering that advantage. Whereas let's say you didn't hit it as far, but you can hit more fairways and more clear shots to the green and avoid penalty and recovery situations. Well, then you're going to gain some strokes back. So it's always a balance of the two. But again, if you find you are deficient with the driver, those are good places to look. And another thing I would tell people to do is for those players who love to use shorter clubs off the tee, look at your dispersion and distance with your three wood, five wood, hybrid irons, whatever clubs you're using off the tee. That was a big eye opener for me when I first used game golf like seven years ago. I was at that point avoiding my driver at all costs. And then I looked at all the shorter clubs and I'm like, I'm hitting these all over the map too. <laughs> like These aren't going any straighter. So that is also very helpful is that you might be that player who's maybe laying back too much. And then you could see like, well, I don't have the evidence to prove that these clubs are any materially straighter than my driver. So maybe it's just driver more of the time. So that's also a helpful exercise to go through with the visual representation and the, and the stat portals. Yep. What about irons? What do you what do you keep track of? I mean, with irons, you're gonna have to. I mean, for most players, the trends. You know, I, I've looked at the data with a few. Like Shotscope has given me access to their database. When I first started practical golf, I met with Game Golf, and everything looked the same. I'm sure Arco is like you're just seeing tons of golfers miss greens on the short side. If you looked at you know, there you can separate from like 150 to 175 yards. Whatever distance you isolate in aggregate, any handicap level is very rarely missing greens on the long side. I think in the shot scope database, it didn't matter if you were scratch or a 25 handicap, it was between four to six percent of shots were going over the green. Whereas the majority of misses were not directional left, right. They were north-south on the south side they're missing green short and that is either not taking enough club or strike quality mixture of both probably i think that's one of the biggest eye openers when people use shot scope or arcos and they start looking at their approach shot shot patterns it's not that they're probably short-siding themselves to the left or the right that much they're not even getting it to the green most of the time and that's an, not an easy problem to solve, but it's easier than other problems we talked about, like missing big tee shots to the left or right. Most of the time, it's just adjusting. You're taking more club, maybe playing, I always say, take the yardage to the back two thirds of the green and then working on your strike location, stuff like that. But that's that's where I always start with approach shots. That's the biggest problem for most golfers. It's definitely a more controllable skill, distance control. You know, when I'm oh, looking absolutely. at stats... You, even if you have a tall player and they're hitting balls on a quad or track man in a, a normal setting, like lab setting, they're going to see a dispersion of maybe 150 yards, 160 yards. They might be 15 yards left, 15 yards right, so a 30-yard circle or so. However, their front-to-back dispersion might be very, very tight, only 10 yards, so probably about a third of the lateral dispersion. So it's very, very controllable. And again, you look at standard deviations, left to right, a tall player might be 10 yards, standard deviation, whereas front-to-back, I've seen as low as two yards. You know, they're hitting their number pretty consistently. And so, yeah, it's very controllable. 
so I keep track of that on the on the golf course. Obviously, if if I deem a shot to have cost you, so if you hit a shot and it goes short, it lands short of the green, it's cost you effectively. You know, probably half a shot or more, depending on how good your short game is. So you'd write down, or I would write down, the reason why that is. Was it left or right as a miss? Or if it's long and short, then it's probably going to be a toe or heel strike. Or more commonly, it would be a fat or thin strike. So again, keeping track of these things allows you to go off and practice the right thing. Yeah, I think the question being asked of the golfer changes from a tee shot to an approach shot. So I would say a tee shot, the bigger question is the lateral dispersion. Can you keep it in play? Most golfers struggle to do that and they are getting stuck in the trees or hitting it OB. Those are the those are where the big strokes are coming off. Whereas approach play, and again, that is a when you took it impact fundamentals, that's more of a face control issue and partially a strike location issue. Whereas you transition into the approach game, as you said, the lateral dispersion is not as wide for a number of reasons. It's more that north-south dispersion that is going to predict your success. And why is that? More so ground contact and impact location because you're not dealing with gear effect on your irons you know if you if you tow it or heel it it's not going to hook or draw or fade as much it's just going to go short of the green because you're losing ball speed if you chunk it you know what's going to happen it's going to go short of the green or even if you thin it yeah it might burn over the green a bit sometimes too so the question gets different and you're looking for different clues so when i'm looking at my approach play it's always target first which is Pretty simple for me. I'm not a pin hunter. Maybe I don't aim at the center of every green because I'm a little bit more of an advanced player. I can adjust a little bit closer, but I'm always trying to not short side myself. I'm always looking to take enough club and give myself an easy two putt. And then you're starting to look for patterns. And as I said, a lot of those patterns are going to end up on the short side of the green for a lot of players. So their, their standard deviation from best strike to worst strike is much bigger. Like you said, a tour player has one. The average handicap is going to have a much bigger north to south standard deviation. It's going to be huge. Yeah. I mean, a a lot of the time you can just assume that a player needs to work on their strike and tell them, go go off and do that. That, that in most cases is just going to improve anybody. I mean, you're not, you're not going to go wrong by working on your strike. It's just going to improve your, your front to back dispersion. However, I do like on the course to keep track of more stats. You know, if, if a player, I'm often on a golf course with a player and I'll ask them beforehand, what's your intention here? You know, what's your target? What club are you using? What distance do you feel it is? What distance do you feel it's playing? And once they choose that, at the end of the shot, we analyze that and we say, well, you know, this is either a bad shot, you know, a bad execution of the shot, or it was a mental mistake, you know, something that happened in your preparation. So say, for example... Okay, if someone hits it 30 yards short because they chunked it, well, that's a bad ex- execution, right? That goes down as you you hit the ground in the wrong place. Okay, so we put a little tally mark next to that. However, if someone hits a reasonable shot, if they strike it, and I know I can tell that that's an average strike for them, you know, it doesn't have to be flush, doesn't have to be perfect, but if it's an average strike and it falls 20 yards short of their intended target, we would say, well, that's a club selection issue. 
You know, you just pick the wrong club there. Or, you know, you can get a scenario where someone's just used too aggressive a strategy. Maybe they've gone for a pin that's on the left. They've missed it a tiny bit left and it goes in a bunker and they're cursing saying, oh, see, I miss it left. And I say, well, you were aiming at the pin there. That is not a good strategy. If you look at that shot, it was five yards left or 10 yards left of your target. That's not a bad miss execution wise. That is a bad miss strategically or it was a bad strategic choice. Sometimes it might be something like a misjudge of wind as well. You know, I'll ask them, where do you think you need to adjust your aim here for the wind? And they'll give me something and I'm internally laughing at it, thinking you have no idea how much this wind is going to affect that. So, uh, you know, that helps when I'm there uh, guiding them and I'm saying, well, that was a wind issue. But uh, so it does require that you you learn those things and you, you try and identify, was it an actual error from yourself or was it the wind or the conditions taking it? So yeah, all these things are important to track. Yeah. And for simplicity's sake, I try and go back to like, what is a good shot? So for tee shots, you know, average distance in play, clear path to the green, fairway or rough, fine. Approach shot, you know, most people would say a good shot is you know, some people think it's got to be 10 feet to the pin. No way. When you look at the dispersion patterns by handicap level, even at pro level, you know, you're 150 yards away. And let's say that's a seven iron for you or an eight iron. You get that within 50 feet of the hole and you're not short-sided, whether it's on the green or not. Like that's a good shot. So again, for the people who are looking to kind of gently get into this, as Adam said, start thinking about your intent and the result. And, you know, if you picked your smart target and you hit a decent shot and it's just sort of the green, you have a relatively easy up and down. It's not short-sided. As long as you have plenty of green to work with and you're not short-sided and you're relatively close to the hole, like let's say inside of like 20 yards, something like that, that's a pretty good result for most players. You know, you're pretty much guaranteeing yourself a bogey at that point. Not guaranteeing, but you're increasing your chances of making bogey at worse. Whereas if you're short-sided in a bunker, if you chunked it 70 yards short, then like the chances of that double bogey are, are getting higher and higher. And ultimately, that's what good approach play is, is it's closer proximity to the hole, but also combined with a manageable putting or wedge situation. So you can get fairly simple with that and kind of do a check or an X based on a, perhaps it was a dreadful impact thing where you chunked it or you pulled it well left or short, whatever, that's an X because of impact execution. Or perhaps it's an X because you got a little too aggressive with the pin and you short-sided yourself. Let's say you're not that far away from the hole, but you're stuck in the junk and you've got not too much distance between you and the pin. That's a strategic X. So yeah, you have your intent. Hopefully you're a smart target. You analyze the result, look back and look for these patterns. And as you said, I'm like strike and ground contact are like the two things that are going to lead you to the promised land. Like I could tell you, for example, my ground contact this year has gotten so much better where I'm like taking these, my iron play is now is like crisp center strikes. I'm taking a really ball first then a nice divot. Like I'm not thinning it so much anymore. Like I've really excelled this year in ground contact, I believe. And it's, it's taken me deeper and deeper into my game. Those are the two skills that are going to 
had the most influence on your scoring overall because approach play is where golfers separate themselves the most. That's where most scoring occurs. Yeah, I don't know. My brain's going all over the place with this. I just, I think, I mean, if you're not a stats person, just go out and work on ball contact, ground contact and face direction. I mean, you're never going to go wrong by doing those and don't be crazy with your targets. <laughs> yeah. Just very conservative targets. Hit the center of the face and have good crown contact. I'm like those are very easy goals to aspire to, and that will lower your scores. Yeah. So if you if you're not a stats person, do that. But like I said, the main goal for me getting stats is what do I need to work on? And if that player is missing short, short, short all the time, it's point. Even then, it might be the worst use of their time to go out and practice. Ground contact even, because it might have been strategic errors that they're making. They're not picking the right club. They're not judging the wind. They're taking too aggressive a strategy. So in that scenario, they need a coach to go on the golf course with them and pick better targets or someone who knows how to play the game who can go out and give them caddy advice or just even just go out and just practice the game itself and keep track of these things because the act of keeping track of it, if you look down and you see on your stats that you're keeping that, wow, I'm making a lot of poor club selections here, just that knowledge is going to improve your club selection on its own. Whereas traditional stats of long or short is not going to do that. I see it all the time where people see their stats, they see their short, short, short. <laughs> they go out and they still pick crappy uh, club selections. Well, that's why I tell people, and I get pushback on it, I tell people start with the back back of the green or at least back two-thirds of the green distance and aim at the center of the green. Start with that and then prove me wrong. Because that at least starts you off taking more club and with the most benign conservative target. It just dumbs it down and tons of people have lowered their handicaps just doing that. If you then find that you're nuking it over 30 or 40 percent of your greens because you are striking it well and have good crown contact, then you can adjust and take a little less club in certain situations. Yeah, I mean, that shouldn't be happening anyway. Exactly. Most players aren't going to do that. So that's why I tell people start off with like the backish part of the green and you will need a GPS watch to do that. That's why I tell people I would prefer most people to play with a GPS watch rather than a rangefinder because when they step up to their approach shots, they're going to laser the pin. And if the pin's on the front right, they're going to take that yardage, which is 142, whereas the back yardage might have been 157. Already a mistake out of the gate, in my opinion. So that's why I'd say start with more club and then adjust. And most likely, you will not need to adjust. It's that simple, in my opinion. Yeah, especially if you use the strategy of pick the back of the green and then use your flush shot yardage to get there. So if it's 160 to the back of the green, you know, that's like my maximum with my nine iron. So if I hit 100 nine irons, maybe one would go farther exactly. than that. So yep. yeah, because you, you're not going to hit it 20 yards farther than your most flush shot. It's just not going to occur, you know, unless you get some freak flyer or gust of wind come up. So yeah, yeah you just... Good- It's an insurance policy. It's an insurance policy that takes into the number one mistake, either not enough club or not good enough strike or ground contact or a combination of both. So I would say people start there and then, again, review, look for patterns, and then adjust from there. But that's a good starting point. Okay, short game. Chipping, pitching. I think this is where it gets a little more simple. You know, with wedges, most people... 
you can get away with like what I would say is average, mediocre-ish wedge play around the greens and still shoot good scores. Like I am not a very good greenside wedge player. I think I'm very good from 40, 80 yards controlling my distances. But once we, I get inside 30 yards, to be quite honest with you, I'm just trying not to F it up. <laughs> I'm just trying to get it on the green in a reasonable like a five to 15 feet window. Great. Like as long, eliminating those double chips, those skulls, those chunks, all that, that is mostly the path to the promised land for eliminating the doubles and the triples and maybe making a few more pars than bogeys is getting the ball inside like a 20 foot circle of the pin on average. You've done well for yourself that those are good wedge shots in terms of like analyzing stats and stuff like that, I don't know. I mean, if you are using like Arcos and Shot Scope, it is going to track like your up and down percentages and your proximity. So you might see from like 50 to 70 yards, like you're dreadful. And then from, you know, 10 to 30 yards, you're pretty good. So you can say, okay, well, what's going on from 50 to 70 yards? I don't have a technique I can rely on there. What, why am I making mistakes from there? So I think the stroke gained and the proximity data from those systems can be helpful because you might have, like you might be really good greenside, but you're really crappy at controlling your your the length of your stroke and how much swing speed you have on a 50-yard shot. I know a lot of people struggle with those intermediate wedge shots. So yeah, I think the goal is simple, but then you have to work backwards from different distances and figure out what's going on and it's a lot of it's going to be ground contact issues i see it all over the place from from golfers they just can't strike it functionally on the ground control the low point you know the arc everything it's it becomes a mess on those testier wedge shots but the goal is relatively simple is like get it on the green don't chunk it don't skull it 20 foot windows fine two putt for your bogey maybe make a par get out of there that's how i view the wedge game <laughs> most people with short game shots pitching chipping they're going to make distance errors it's very rare that they'll make lateral yeah, dispersion lateral, yeah, errors lateral is not part of the game there yeah and i mean it can happen with a toe an extreme toe or a heel shank something like that but that's not a face direction error so it's no. still a strike <laughs> error so you could say the important things with short game are your strike quality and then the amount of energy that you produce. That's something that's not really tracked with the long game because the you know, swing speed that we, we give is pretty constant with full shots. But yeah, if you hit it too hard or too soft, you know, you might strike it perfectly. So I'm always trying to decipher which one of those it was. If I hit a shot short, was that did I provide enough energy or was it just a really poor strike? And so ascertaining which one of those it is is really important. Once those two things are okay, then you're trying to go into the mental areas. Well, did I just misjudge the conditions? So if you hit a no, shot and it lie. comes out, yeah, if you hit a shot and it comes out as you think it would, but then it hits the green and rolls out a bunch more, you might be cursing saying, I need to improve my short game. And it's like, well, which part of your short game? Going onto the range and, and beating a bunch of wedges is not going to improve you there because it was a judgment error. 
you know, it was a judgment of the conditions. So in that situation, it would guide me into doing more random practice, you know, when I'm hitting different situations and I'm having to assess the situation each time. So a little chip shot, did it come out of the rough soft? Did it come out harder than I thought with lots of run? Again, judgment error. That might not be an execution error. I need to go around and drop a bunch of balls in different positions in the rough and alternate that with fairway shots. So I'm constantly challenging the skill of judgment. How is this going to come out? How is this going to roll once it hits the green? So I see so many people. Yes, they identify their short game sucks. But then they go off and they practice in a way that's not going to improve their skill because they're identifying the wrong skill. They might be working on execution, you know, dropping a, a basket of balls down on the ground and hitting over and over and over chip shots. That's working on execution. What if execution wasn't your issue? What if it's just your misjudging of conditions? Or, you know, even if it's a too much speed issue, you might go a little bit more granular and say, well, when I hit that, I was fearful. You know, I was frightened of hitting it too hard. That's very common will happen to me on the golf course. I'll hit a shot and it'll go short. I'll decelerate. But when I really go deep into the mental mechanics of that, it was because I was frightened of hitting it over the back. I thought I'd given it too much energy. Again, these things are going to dictate your practice or what strategy you use to intervene. It's pointless me going off and working on my execution of certain shots if it's a fear issue. You know, in, in that case, I would go off and do a, use a mental tactic to disarm the fear. Yeah, I think the challenge of wedge play and where you should be maybe making some notes is where were the vomit shots, <laughs> whatever yeah. way I can describe that. Because like, that's the challenge for most players is what, sh- you know, in terms of losing strokes around the green, a lot of it is those shots where you fail to actually get it on the putting surface. You misjudged the lie out of the rough and you kind of decelerated and it went five feet in front of you, or you scolded over the green, or you had that tight lie in the fairway from 30 yards and you chunked it. You're looking for the pattern starting with your, those are the, the shots that cost you the most amount of strokes. Not, you know, don't approach it from, well, I was only hitting that wedge shot to 10 feet and I want to be at that three foot circle. I don't think that's, you know, that's getting a little too nitty gritty for me. I'd say, where are the big gaping holes? What makes me the most uncomfortable? And then, as you said, trying to find the source and situation of that shot. I think for me, ground contact is something I'm constantly working at. And I think that's probably the biggest part of the problem with most players. Some players like, yeah, it's force applied with how much, you know, you can call that feel, how much force they're applying to the ball which is going to be a distance control thing but i think for a lot of players it's going to be the chunks the skulls and then the misjudgments out of the rough and the bunker where they fail to get it on the putting surface you got to find a technique you're comfortable with you don't need five different shots you need one shot that you stand over the ball and you're like i can get this on the putting surface i can land that to 15 feet from the hole or 20 feet from the hole you do that and you start removing those oh vomit shots, your scores are going to go down. Like those are the biggest problems to solve for most players. And then I think once you get beyond that, sometimes the gains are marginal and then other parts of the game, whether it's your approach player driving are the bigger gaping holes in terms of scoring potential. Yeah, I'm not keeping a hell of a lot of stats on the golf course. I I know it sounds like I am. I have I have more categories 
of stats that I keep, but I'm not writing down, you know, notes on every single shot. Only, no, like I you mean, said, the vomit shots, you know, the yeah, ones that are I, costing you shots effectively. To be fully honest with everyone right now, I'm not keeping track of anything. I just mentally review all my rounds and I look for little trends. I'm looking for heel strikes, chunks. Like I'm just looking through every shot. I'm saying, what's making me uncomfortable? What's going well? I think I've gotten to that point after many years and I, I want to get back into it a little bit more. Maybe I've gotten a little lazy. Also, I'm a guinea pig because I've tried so many different systems that I haven't stuck with one of them and I don't like using them in tournament play sometimes. Um, but like right now, I'm just looking for these trends and trying to answer that question. Why? Why is this happening and getting to the source of it? That is the ultimate goal. So yeah, wedges, I don't I don't see any like magical, like deep statistical nuance it's more of how can i stop effing up around the greens as much <laughs> like start there like start at the biggest gaping problems yeah the only thing i say with the short game is really the amount of energy you produce you know your club speed your feel becomes mm-hmm. more important as does judgment of conditions yep. as well those two things become more important than they would with say a driver you know you, it doesn't matter how much energy you're producing your swing speed's not going to go up or down significantly with a driver necessarily and uh, your judgment of conditions is not usually a, a big issue there maybe a misjudgment of wind yeah there's a lot more we did an episode on wedges where we talked about different lies like if the ball's like propped up or you have an intermediate lie Maybe we'll do a whole episode on lies in general. But yeah, that that's the part of the game where you have different... They are strategic decisions. Because if you walk up to a ball on the green and it's buried, that is a strategic decision. What club you're going to use? Well, maybe I, I got to dig a little bit more, so I'm going to use a club with less... If it's like a halfway lie, maybe you can use a club with more bounce to glide through that. Uh, are you going to put it back in your stance? And then you're thinking about the feel. Well, I've got to swing a little bit harder on this one than if it was in the fairway to pop it out. I consider those strategic decisions because those are intent about the shot. And that's where as you get better and better, you can get a little more nuanced in those decisions versus I'd say for the more beginner to intermediate player, it's more of that, like, let's just get this thing on the putting surface type thing. And those fact and those decisions will factor in there. But yeah, we had an all ep- whole episode on wedge play. You can go back to and, and you'll hear some of that. Shall we move on to putting? Yeah, let's do that. What'd you track? I think putting asks you essentially two different questions. How many putts can you make inside of eight to 10 feet? Because those are the statistically where you actually have a chance of making them. And then... Mo- <sighs> I don't know. I guess it depends on the level of player. And then how good are you at your proximity to the hole on 20, 30, 40, 50 footers, your speed control and read is in there too. But yeah, I think it's looking at, I I, kind of just look at those two separately on the shorter ones. I believe it's more face control, pushing or pulling, you know, speed is important, but if I have a lot of, you know, for years I was pulling it, I was pulling so many putts. And why? I got a lot of help. I went to Pete's Golf. I went on the Sam Putt Lab. They looked at my stroke. Just not a very good putting stroke. I needed to change it. I got a different putter that I think accommodated that. My right hand was taking over. I know that's a common thing. So I went to a pencil grip. I worked on my putting stroke too at home. Just what can I do to feel a straight putt? But that was a glaring hole in my game that inside of 10 feet, 
there absolutely was a pattern of me pulling putts. And I had to solve that problem. And it solved it completely, but I make it happen less often. So I think inside of 10 feet, you're looking at more stroke-related things and maybe you can get more mechanical. Whereas on the longer putts, if you are tracking stroke gain, you could see, okay, I'm just really bad at getting the ball within five feet of the hole from outside of 30 feet. And then it's, you know, now we're, we're talking more speed control stuff and maybe some green reading. So I think those are the two big questions that putting asks of people. And, you know, you can track three putts. That's very easy to do. I think, you know, if you go from someone who's three putting four or five times around down to two, one or two times around, that's great. And then seeing how many more putts you can make inside of 10 feet. You're not going to make them all, but you can make more of them. Yeah, I would say I track speed and line. <laughs> but, you know, I do separate with with line. I separate it out into, was it the read or was it the stroke? This does need a little bit more self-knowledge, self-awareness. So, you know, when I'm hitting putts, even if I have a 10-foot putt, if I miss it, if I hit it through the break or did I hit it a little too soft and it overbroke compared to what I wanted? So that would be more speed issue, if anything. Or if I think I got my speed correct, that's the first thing I want to know. Did I get my speed correct or within reason? And then if that was the case, then I say, well, obviously, if I got my speed correct, I've missed it directionally. So why? Why was there a directional miss? Was it an overread or an underread? Or did I pull it or push it? It's very rare for me that I feel like I miss a shot because of a pull or a push. You can sense that. You know, if you hit a shot and you kind of look up and it's like, oh, that didn't come off the line I wanted it to, then that's a very different thing to hitting a putt going, oh, that came off the right line. This is going to go in and then it breaks too far to the left. So was it a stroke issue or was it a read issue? Because again, that determines what you're going to go and practice on practice if you find that it's a reading issue it is pointless getting on a training aid to work on your stroke over and over in fact the argument could be made if you have reading issues the better your stroke becomes the worse a putter you will become because you basically get better at starting that ball on the wrong line so if you identify you've got reading issues, you need to go and put yourself in more random situations, you know, and keep track of was it an overread, underread, overread, underread. And the more you keep track of that, the more you see a pattern that will adjust your unconscious read. I don't tell players that usually that they're underreading putts. You know, that's what most golfers do. I don't tell them that. I just ask them to keep track. And once they see themselves, oh, wait there, the last three putts I've underread. Their automatic response is to play more break for the next one. So you're influencing the unconscious and conscious reads just through keeping track and just, just through being aware of what their patterns are. You don't even need them to give them the strategy, really. Or you could go and use a, a system like Aimpoint, something like that. It's a really good system where they figure out how the... The break is through their feet. I've never done it, but I used to work with Preston Combs. He's an aim point instructor, very good instructor in Florida. 
And so you figure out how much the slope is based on where you feel the pressure in your feet. And then you apply an adjustment to your read through that. So that's a really good way of getting the starting point of what your read should be. And then I think after that, tracking whether you're over or undercooking that read is important. If you want to go really, really granular in the stats, and I know putting, uh, Preston does this with putting, you'd even track different stats for left to right putts and right the left putts. Now that's obviously if you're really obsessed with stats, but there can be different patterns there. Yeah, I, mean, I, I use Aimpoint. I, it saved me and I now have tremendous confidence in my putting where I used to be a dreadful putter. And now I'm someone who can get hot with it. And Aimpoint was one of the reasons why. It's just, I view putting as removing variables. So if you can remove the green reading variable and get better at reading greens, you know, that uh, not everyone gets better with aim points. Some people, I think they struggle using their feet to find gravity. I think it's a great idea. But yeah, I view it as how many variables can you remove? If you feel confident over the read and it's relatively good, great, that's done with. And then, you know, you get better controlling the face and you're not pushing and pulling as many putts, great. And then you get down to the last variable, speed, the most important one. That is recipe for proximity less three putts and making more putts inside of 10 feet too you know speed plays a, a decent role in those as well but yeah i think getting back to the original point with traditional statistics if you're just tracking your putts per round i don't want to tell people not to do that but i i just it's not enough information what are you going to do with it exactly what are you going to do it's just I think you really need to start looking at, I think Mark, I don't want to mangle Mark's words. I think he posted this the other week and his, I think some of his findings are that low, uh, higher handicap golfers, most of their gains on the putting green was increasing their make rate inside of 10 feet. It wasn't necessarily speed control on the longer ones. Hopefully I didn't mangle that. I don't have it in front of me, but that's getting back to the two questions that putting asks. Like, yeah, I would, Keep track of the short ones, eight, 10 footers inside of those. Maybe start taking a look at how often you're making them. Remember, a pro is only making 50% of their eight footers. So if you're making like 25, 30, 35% of them, that's pretty good. If you're making 5% of them, like I was someone who for a long time, like I just really didn't make anything from eight to 10 feet. I was just two putting a lot. And there was a ton of room to grow there, making more five, six, seven, eight footers. That can be a huge source of improvement. And a lot of that is probably that face control thing. Some good green reading skills and speed control. But yeah, a lot of golfers, they get inside those distances and they're pushing and pulling putts like crazy because they get nervous. So yeah, I'd look at the shorties and then drift my attention on the longer ones. And you can, I think stroke gained is helpful because it breaks it down into different length of putts so if you tracked them it's a little more tedious but i think it's a worthwhile exercise if you really do want to become a better putter start tracking and the apps can do this for you you know you're, you're how far you're away on the putt you can pace it off or use gps and then adjust it afterwards then you can get a really clear picture and say like okay i'm actually not that bad from long distance it's the short distance ones that are absolutely killing me like it will show you where you're gaining and losing strokes at, from different distances on the greens. Like that can be very helpful for people. And then as we're saying, then you need to go to the next level and say, well, why is that? Are my reads crappy or is my speed bad? Am I pushing or pulling putts? So it's a different answer for each golfer, I think. But yeah, putting can be, 
It can be a little bit of a black hole, I'll be honest, just because it's like a different game within the game of golf, I always say. But I think those basic two buckets, the short ones and the long ones, you're, you're trying to see what the issues are. I also track. I know I have more categories. Again, it's not a case of I track everything, every putt. That's not the case. Uh, even to what you said, John, you know, you identify which area of your game is in, is where you're losing your shots and then you might just put more focus on there for example if you find you're decent at long putting but you're you're sucking at short putting then we would go into well let's track those for a few weeks and see where which area we can improve the most so was it a speed issue was it a read issue you know for me i know in my own game almost every short putt i miss is a read error it's very rare that I'll get the speed wrong. It happens, but very rare. Um, it's very rare that I feel like I pushed or pulled it. It's almost always a read error or... Oh, you you got to learn aim point then. Yeah. I'll tell you, like, I, I know I, I'm limited in what I can say about how it works. It simplifies those 10 and inside footers so much. Because once you learn to read a 1% and 2% slope... It's just a matter of, you know, you're, you're not going to get the reads wrong. It's just a matter of, did you push or pull it a little bit or speed just a little bit off? It's, it was honestly like a game changer for me, like a huge game changer. Well, it might help with the mental error as well. Often I'll, I'll miss a putt because I stand over it. I'm sure everybody can relate here. And we're thinking either, oh, I feel like I'm named too far left here. Exactly. Or yep. You stand over a putt and you're like, right, I've committed to this line. You stand over it and you think, nah, this is too much break, isn't it? And then you adjust it and then you end up missing on the side and you wish you hadn't adjusted it or the opposite. You commit to it and you uh, you find out your instinct was correct. So yeah, yeah I mean, that, that's the hardest thing is how can you stand over the ball confidently on an eight footer? And I used to worry about those things too. Is my read wrong? Am I aimed improperly? And aim point and my Seymour putter remove those variables from me. So I'm, I'm really not thinking about them over the ball anymore. I'm just thinking about speed. Not going to work for everyone, but I made my own little system. I'll have to do that then. I'll have to go and do an aim point course. It's good. It's really good stuff. I, I think it's like one of those teach a man to fish things. Like you learn that skill in a couple hours and it's with you for the rest of your golf life. Yeah. Maybe we get uh, Mr. Sweeney on and uh, on we to talk about should. it. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, we've done putting. We've done short game. Anything else that you've you got to add there, John? Nothing on putting. Don't go crazy. <laughs> I think with wedge play and putting, like you can get a little more. I mean, I don't want you to go crazy on anything, uh, to be honest. But I think with but once you get inside 100 yards, the questions get a little more simpler, in my opinion, because you're not dealing with a lot more impact laws than you are with iron and, and, and driver play. One thing I want to give a shout out to, and this is public, so I'm not... Hopefully Scott won't mind this. It's actually from Tiger Woods. Um, Scott Fawcett uses the Tiger Five stats and Decade Foundations, which is geared more towards you know the as Decade Elite, which is for high end amateurs and pros, and Decade Foundations. Do you know the Tiger Five? Have you heard of this? No. Okay, I'll read them off. This is something you can keep track of. I'll give a plug for Scott's app because he he derived this he studied tiger stats for years he poured over him here is the tiger five stats and it gets tracked in his app you can track them separately but this is on golf.com so i'm not stealing it from his app so scott forgive me 
Tiger's five rules. Number one, no sixes on par fives. So you can keep track of that. Rule number two, no double bogeys. You can keep track of how many double bogeys you're making. Obviously, you know, that's one of my big goals is to limit double bogey. Every, everyone's goal in golf. Like better golf is less double bogeys. It's the big differentiator. You look at a 20 handicaps double bogey rate versus a scratch golfer. It's far lower and their birdies are not that different. So double bogey, you can keep track of that. Stat number three, no three putts. I think that's someone something everyone can agree is within a lot of golfers' control. Number four, no bogeys with nine irons or less in your hands. So that's when your proximity is getting less and less to the hole and you're not making those, you know, sloppy-ish bogeys where you could have easily, you know, hitting a green in regulation wasn't out of the question. And then stat number five is no blown easy saves. So that's what I was talking about before. If you had like a relatively, if you're just off the green on the fringe and you've got, you know, a 30 foot chip shot just off the green, stuff like that, where you have a lot of green to work with. So Scott keeps track of those five stats with less skilled players. So no sixes on par fives, no double bogeys, no three putts, no bogeys with nine iron or less, and no blown easy up and downs. And you can kind of keep track of those from round to round and see your progress. That's like a very simple way to do stat tracking, you know, via kind of Tiger's philosophy on the game. He obviously took it to a different level, but he talked about all that stuff a lot. Yeah, it's good. I think those are stats that, again, the question is what you do with those things. I exactly. Think, I think they're, what they're happens starting is when why? you get yeah. those stats, you'd probably change your goal. So if you see that, oh, I'm creating a lot of bogeys with 9-9 and less, then it's just going to change your goal. When you have that 9-9 in, you're probably going to aim at more conservative target. Yeah, it's, it, it's something that could self-organize your game, but ultimately... We're looking at the trail of breadcrumbs with stats, however you track them or you look at them, and getting back to the low-hanging fruit of your golf game. What are the big questions being asked of you that you're not answering as well? And a lot of it's going to be <laughs> impact, location, ground contact, face control, uh, strategic. Yeah, always. <laughs> like you just can't. I mean, that is like that's golf. How well can you control your face from day to day and strike it? And then a lot of them are going to be, you know, we didn't talk too much about mental errors, but, you know, your emotional state, did you give up on the round? You're making a lot of sloppy double, let's say you were tracking your double bogeys and you're making a lot of them when you give up, you know, you're in the trees and you're all of a sudden starting to thread it through the trees rather than just punching it out. Were you short-sided in the rough and you kind of went for the hero flop shot to just land it on the green rather than aiming five feet past the pin and taking your medicine? These are emotional slash strategic mistakes. They almost meld together. They're, They're both because I think strategy is mental and mental is strategy. Like sometimes you cannot distinguish between the two well even technical things you know if you if absolutely you hit yeah, more on the, if i hit a shot and i fat it a little bit well was i trying to dig a bit deeper because the last shot was thin these are all, yep. all important things there mental yeah. i mean you just you can look at Trackman stats and say okay that face yeah. was four degrees closed but were you frightened of the trees and the out of bounds on the right you know those things are important there yeah, it's, I mean, sometimes it's impossible to really know why you hit a shot the way you did. Like, was it, you know, worried about not hitting it there? Was it a, a skill deficit? Was it a strategic mistake? You do your best to look for, like, I think you can find big trends in your game when you really start looking at things. And I think that's ultimately, if we're wrapping things up here, 
that is why it's a good idea to start looking at this stuff because I think when you do this exercise in different parts of your game, there's going to be some sore thumbs that are sticking out at you. They could be strategic decisions that are very easy to fix with a little more discipline and smarter targets. They could be mental errors. It could be your attitude, your your energy level, or it could be you know a an issue of my face is too closed. I'm missing all my drives to the left. I need to work on getting that face a little bit open. And all of a sudden you're hitting more fairways and less trees. Usually when people do this, I think big trends start to come out rather than like what do most golfers do? They play their round, they finish it, and they don't really think about what happened or review it. And then the information just becomes very cloudy and they have an interpretation of their golf game that isn't true. And that's, what this is, is like, you're going to hold a mirror up to your game and say, okay, why? That's why I think all of this can be helpful and you could do it as much or as little as you want. I don't think there's a right amount for any golfer, but doing something is important. Some type of reflection and some type of numerical statistical analysis will be helpful in my opinion. Yep. My favorite, well, everything that I do as a coach is I look at what part of your game needs improving and strokes gained data helps ascertain that. Then I would go into well, what impact factor or factors need improving for you to improve that area. You know, if you're missing left and right, it's pretty obvious, right? We need to improve our face control, you know, or alignment, something like that. If we're going really deep, I would try and get into some of the mental errors that are occurring, you know, long and short. Yes, is it a strike error or is it a mental error? Was it strategic? Was it club selection? So all these things go into it. And then I select or I implement a drill to improve it. So say, for example, a person has a left and right error, then we're going to be working on face control. And we could use either differential practice drills to improve that. We could use variability practice drills. We could do calibration drills. Or we could make a technical change. You know, I would especially go that route if there's a specific pattern. If someone is missing right 90% of the time or 80% of the time, we're going to be do, doing something technical to close the face. Uh, or it might be something as simple as just changing your alignment and setup, changing your targets. Well, here we are at our mark. Every time we talk, we always seem to get to 90 minutes, no matter what we talk about. <laughs> well, it'll probably be a little bit less than that at this point if you're listening. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's something we have a lot of other resources on this show, other topic. We, we've gone into all of this stuff separately, but I think we tried to tie it all together in one neat place to give you a better starting point. So, yeah, I think that's it for me. I think you and I both have some further resources for people if they're interested in more. Anything else you want to add to this discussion? No, I think we're done. I will be having an app coming out soon Ooh. at some point. Well, maybe I shouldn't say soon. It's going to yeah, be in beta yeah. testing soon. Yes, <laughs> software <laughs> development. Oh, I've got something that's been soonish for a year now. So <laughs> careful on your promises. Well, it will be about. It will be around the topic of tracking stats as well. You know, there'll be um, tracking stats for your short game. Uh, sorry, not short game for your practice as well as on course things. There will be all these different categories to track as well so i'm i'm pretty excited about it because it will definitely add something that other stat trackers don't have at the moment well i hope i can be a beta tester definitely, definitely. <laughs> so john where can people find your information 
So I've got a few further resources on this if you're interested. As I said, I, I do. I am a reseller of the Shotsco product because I do like it. You get the GPS watch, the stat tracking with no ongoing fees. I have an awesome price on it that I will not disclose. If you go to practical-golf-deals, you can see what the price is. As I said, I do like Arcos as well. It's a little bit more expensive in my opinion, but I'm not here to bash them either. I think that's a great product. That's my only distinction between the two. I also, if you go on that deals page, I yes, I do still have a discount on Decade Foundations if you're interested in that. I gave a plug to that. And I do have a lot of this discussion in my book, The Four Foundations of Golf. I have a few different chapters on statistics, how to use them, some further thoughts there. And that's it for me, Adam. I know you've got a lot of stuff on next level golf uh, and some other parts of your program. So what do you got? Yeah, if you want to see the categories that I track, I know I have a lot more categories of tracking. It doesn't mean I track more stats. It doesn't mean you're, you're spending all day doing it. It's actually, if anything, you're tracking fewer shots. But if you found this helpful, you know, go into Next Level Golf. So go to adamyounggolf.com. Next Level Golf is the program. And for already existing members, it's in the university section. It's in the routines module. And it's the post-shot video, post-shot routine video. So that shows you exactly how to track and what to track. And then there's even a downloadable PDF there. That is it. So thanks as always if you've made it this far. We appreciate the support, the feedback, and we will see you next time with a new episode.